Is Jesus Christ the only way to salvation? In today's world where pluralism and relativism are readily embraced and every idea or notion is accommodated overlooking obvious contradictions, truth that is hard and fast is not readily welcomed. But our goal here is not to please people but to proclaim the truth in love and help them make their own decision. In this message, we present three simple yet important reasons as to why Jesus is the only way to salvation. God, every challenge you're facing is subject to the word of God. Every problem you're facing is subject to the word of God. Everything in this natural world is subject to the word of God. Amen. And here's what God's done. He's given us the ability through faith, by having faith in the word, to release the power of God's word into our lives, into our circumstance, into our situation. The power of God's word can be released in your life, into your life, into your circumstance, into your situation, over whatever you're facing, by your faith in his word. That's the connection. Which means everything you're facing in, in, in your life today can be changed, can uh, can be totally transformed by the power of God's word when you have faith in that word. Yeah, everything in this world, everything in your circumstance, situa- situation can be transformed, can be changed when you have faith in God's word because God's word is that spiritual material that brought into existence everything that's in the natural. So every challenge that you're facing, every mountain you're facing, every whatever you're facing in this world can be changed by your faith in the word. As, you re- as the power of God's word is released into your situation, your circumstance. Amen? So whatever you're facing, face it with confidence. Not because that, you know, you, you're clever enough to solve it or because you're smart enough to sort it out. No. You face whatever you're facing with this confidence knowing that it is. Everything in this natural world is subject to the word of God, must align itself to the word of God when you have faith in God's word. It will change. It has to align up to the word of God. Because by faith we understand that the worlds were framed, everything in this visible world was brought into existence by the word and therefore is subject to the word of God. Amen? That's why we believe the word. We, 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 we live by this word because we know there is power in this word to transform everything in our world. Let's stand to our feet this morning as we make our declaration because we believe God's word. Let's hold our Bibles high up in the air and say this together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of his blessing. To many people, I receive his word. I believe his word. And I live by his word. Christ is my master. And to him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated, please.
over the last four Sundays, uh, we've been doing a series called Reasons, where we've been providing answers or reasons to why we believe what we believe. In the very first part of this message, we talked about, we asked the question, does God exist? Was everything created? And we provided reasons for why we believe that God does exist and that God created all things. We provided reasons for that. In part two of the message which Pastor Jay Kumar shared with us, we talked about the authenticity and the accuracy of God's word. Amen? And it's really amazing. Uh, those of you who missed that message, you go online, you can download that sermon PDF or the MP3 and just study it. It's so amazing to know how the Bible came to us. That some of these scriptures that we are reading, for instance, the book of Isaiah, that what we are reading today is exactly what was written almost 2,000 years ago by the prophet. Accurate, preserved for us, intact. And no other ancient book could claim what the Bible claims for itself or can show what the Bible shows for itself in terms of authenticity and accuracy. You know, today people are so proud of quoting some great philosophers of hundreds of years ago. And actually many of those quotes are very disputable. Because some of the manuscripts that we have that contain the quotes are sometimes 900 years post them their lives. And so they're very disputable, but not so with the scriptures. We have, we can state with so much confidence the authenticity and the accuracy of the Bible, the book that we read and, and we study and we live by. Last Sunday, Pastor Nancy shared with us on the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Again, let's look here at the person of Jesus Christ and, and, and the uniqueness. What makes this one person stand out is so powerful, so amazing. Again, if you missed that message, make sure you listen to it. Get it down off our website and, 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 and listen to it. We, we talked about nine uh, areas in which Jesus Christ is absolutely unique uh, and, and what makes him what the Bible declares him to be. Uh, this morning in our concluding sermon, we want to ask this question is Jesus the only way to salvation? Is Jesus the only way to salvation? A very basic question, but nonetheless, a very important question. Especially in a world today that, 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 that embraces relativism and pluralism, where, you know, People generally say, you know, whatever feels good is good. If it feels good for you, it's good for you. If it feels good for the other person, it's good for the other person. So truth becomes or relative. What's right and wrong becomes very relative. And where we live in a world where we try to be inclusive. We want to include everybody in. And in the process, we actually sometimes even knowingly contradict ourselves. Because if two things are opposites, both can't be the truth. One has to be right, one has to be wrong. And yet, knowingly, we just want to be inclusive and we try to embrace both the right and the wrong and say both are right. Sorry, you can't make me a fool. And so we got to wise up and, and say right is right and wrong is wrong. There are, there are absolutes, there, are, there is truths. 
And so in answering this question, our answer to this question is, yes, Jesus is the only way to salvation. And we'll explain why in a few minutes. And to state that, sometimes can be, and we could be considered, just, just, you know, could be misunderstood, criticized for speaking the truth. But yet, we must speak the truth. We can't compromise the truth. Yes, Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. We speak the truth in love. We speak the truth in order that people might embrace the truth and follow him like we do. But we cannot compromise on the truth. And unfortunately, in the world today, even in the Christian world, we have many great renowned Christian name leaders who are afraid to stand up and say, yes, Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. They're afraid. Why? Because, you know, I need to be liked by everybody. I need to be inclusive. But if we believe the Bible, we believe all that we've been hearing these past few Sundays, our response to this question is simply yes. Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Why do we say that? And I'm just going to provide three simple reasons why we do this, why we proclaim that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, and a few thoughts on that. And this concluding message really ties up with the last three sermons that, you, that we've been hearing on Sundays. Why do we say that Jesus is the only way to salvation? Because, number one, the Word of God clearly states this. The Word of God clearly states that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Take a few of these scriptures. For example, John 14, verse 6. And all of these are very familiar scriptures to many of us. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus claim for himself? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that's a very clear statement. So if you and I believe in the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, the fact that he is truly God who became man, and we believe in the, what the Word of God says, this Bible is truly authentic, is valid, it's something we can put our life on, then this statement of Jesus has to be taken for what it literally means. That he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and there is no other way to get to God except through him. He did not say, I am one of the many ways. You can make it through me, or if you don't like me, find somebody else. He gave us no options. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. You can never get to the Father except through me. Very clear. What did the New Testament church preach? What did the apostles preach? Take Peter, for example. In Acts 4 and verse 12, what did Peter say? He said, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we can be very clear. There is no other name, even if it sounds like a Christian name. There is no other name given under heaven among men by which we can be saved. Meaning there is no other option, no other way. You either embrace this or reject it. There is no middle ground, neither is any other ground. 
This is the only way. What did the Apostle Paul preach? He wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, he said, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life as a ransom in due time. There is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. One mediator, not one of many, one mediator. What did John, the beloved disciple, write? He said this in 1 John 5, verses 11 and 12. He said, and this is the record that God has given to us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Verse 12. He who has the Son has life. And just to be clear, let me also say this. He who does not have the Son does not have. Very clear. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you do not have Jesus Christ, you do not have eternal life. So is Jesus the only way to salvation? The word of God clearly states, yes, he is the only way. Amen? And that's what we as believers need to say. We need to speak the truth in love. Second reason why we proclaim that Jesus is the only way to salvation is because of the uniqueness of Christ himself. And we saw this in detail last Sunday. I'm not going to repeat the whole sermon. But Jesus Christ is absolutely unique. He's not just a great teacher, not just a great philosopher, not just a great founder, founder of a great religion. But he is unique. He is God who became man. And if you believe that he is who he said he is, then he is the only way to salvation. There's nobody else like him. Think about the uniqueness of Christ as we described it in these nine areas. Number one, in concerning Christ's claim for himself. He didn't claim to be one among many. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the Father. I am the Father of one. Many things that Jesus claimed for himself that makes him very unique. Number two, the Bible's statement about the deity of Christ. That Christ is not just an ascended man, a man who you know, was just better than the others and attained some enlightenment and attained a super spiritual status. No, it's the other way. It, he is God who became man. It's, he is deity who took on humanity. Number three, the Bible's statement about Christ's absolute uniqueness. Some of the scriptures we just read this morning. That he, there is salvation in no one else except for Jesus. Number four, the incarnation, the virgin birth of Christ. This makes Jesus absolutely unique. Somebody born by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we also saw the fact that there were so many prophecies concerning Jesus Christ that the probability of any one man fulfilling all these prophecies was next to impossible. And yet, in Jesus Christ, all these prophecies were fulfilled. It had to be the work of God. In his incarnation, in his virgin birth. The sacrificial death of Christ. Nobody else died for the sins of the whole world. Only Jesus Christ did. Number seven, in the resurrection of Christ. The fact that Christ rose up from the dead is something that cannot be invalidated. It's historical fact. It's recorded there for us by people who were there, eyewitnesses. And we have about 500 eyewitnesses to the same thing. Most of them who died for what they believe, you've got to say that it's credible. 
when you have witnesses who record his resurrection who were actually opposed to the faith, you've got to say it's credible. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Number eight, the provision of salvation through faith in Christ. That Christ doesn't just tell you, I'll make you a new leaf or I'll give you a, a new art to live life. I will teach you about a new philosophy. But Christ says, I will make you a brand new person. He gives us salvation. Provides it as a free gift. Number nine, the power of Christ to transform, heal, and deliver. So the fact that Jesus Christ himself is so unique leads us to say that there is salvation in no one else but Christ alone. Last reason, number three, why do we say that Jesus is the only way to salvation? It's because it's only Jesus Christ who provides a complete remedy for sin and the promise of a right relationship with God. The real issue, the real problem with us is sin. You know, I, I, nowadays we have all kinds of good things that help us become better people and thank God for it. You can have a personal trainer to make sure you go to the gym and make, I know, makes you fitter. You can have a personal counselor who can teach you on keys to success. You can have a personal business coach who can coach you to be successful in business. I mean, you can have all these things that they're all good. Help you become a better person. But none of them can deal with the real issue that plagues mankind with sin. None of them can take you into a personal relationship with God. And as much as all these things are good, there's only one person who can deal with the real issue of sin and it's Jesus Christ. It's Christ alone who provides a remedy for sin and brings us into this relationship with God. And look at one passage of scripture in Romans 5 verses 8 through 10. But God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we will be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, so much more having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. Jesus Christ alone provides this for us. The Bible says God loves us so much that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And through his death, we are reconciled, brought into a right relationship with God. And we are saved from the judgment that we deserve, from the wrath of God. That would send us to an eternal damnation in hell. We are saved by his life. And we are reconciled to God through his death. Who else can offer this? 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul writes, he says, This is a true saying and readily to be accepted that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus came to save us sinners. No one else came to do that. They may teach us on how to live better or how to improve our personal lives, but here is Jesus Christ who said, I came to deal with the real issue of sin. And bring you into real relation in a right relationship with God. A few things about salvation itself and how we receive it before we close this morning. Salvation is received by grace through faith. That means you don't earn it. You and I cannot earn salvation. We can only receive it by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Familiar verses in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace we are saved through faith. And not by works. Not by the good things we do. Because it is the gift 
of God. Salvation is given to us as a gift by God's own grace and we have to receive it by faith. Romans 6 and verse 23 tells us that the result of sin is death, which is what all of us deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. God's free gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's a free gift. You don't earn it. All we can do is receive it. Which means that we cannot be saved by the stringent following of religious rituals. Some of us might think, you know, I'll just live a good life and I'll get saved. That cannot happen. Because the Bible says in Isaiah uh, 64 and verse 6, it says, All our good deeds are like filthy rags before God. So how many good deeds are you going to do to deserve salvation? You cannot do any. Because all our good deeds are like filthy rags. It is still not acceptable before God. It also means that we cannot, we do not have the option of salvation through this multiple cycle of birth and rebirth. Why? Because the Bible says in Hebrews 9 verse 27, it is appointed to man once to die and after that the judgments. There is no option of a million lives to live so that eventually your good deeds are going to outweigh your bad deeds. That's not even an option because it's appointed to man once to die and after that comes the judgments. Being saved by somebody else's good works, again, is not an option. There is no saint who can save you. There is no guru, there is no religious leader who can save you. Why? Because the Bible tells us so clearly in Romans 3 and verse 10, there is not even one person who is righteous. Not even one. Every man born of a woman is born in sin. So every person, no matter how good a life they've lived, they still fall short of God's glory and God's standard. They still have their own sins to pay for. And therefore, there is no other person, no other human being who can save you. So forget about being saved because your grandmother was really good. Or forget about the option of being saved because you believe in somebody else who attained sainthood by human standards whom you hope can save you. It's not going to happen because there is not even one person who is righteous, not even one. That's not an option. What must I do to be saved? The Bible says I must repent and believe. There are several times the Bible repeats this. I'll give, let's look at a few of these scriptures. Jesus preached in Mark 1 verse 15. He said the time has come. The kingdom of God is here. It's being offered to all of us. He said, repent and believe the message. What must I do? Repent and believe. The apostle Peter, preaching in Acts 2.38, he said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He preached again in Acts 3.19, repent and be converted that your sins may be wiped away. Repent and believe. The word repent simply means to have a change in my thinking. It means I must now start thinking differently. Repent means to start changing. Start changing your thinking, to think differently. The Bible says in Isaiah 55 verse 7, Let the wicked man forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him come to the Lord. Let him return to the Lord. Because he will have mercy and abundantly pardon. 
before I can come to the Lord to receive his mercy and pardon, I must let go, I must forsake of my own wrong thinking. Some of us might be thinking, you know, maybe my good works will get me to heaven. Maybe my embracing of following this particular saint will get me to heaven. Or maybe my, you know, uh, uh, maybe, you know, I just go to church every Sunday and I get saved. Or whatever our wrong thinking is, you got to repent, get rid of it. And come and believe in the simple message of the gospel. That is, you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Repent and believe. And your sins will be wiped away. Is the offer that God is making to you and me. And finally, for those of us who believe this message of salvation, for those of us who embrace this truth that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, you know, it also brings a responsibility on us that this message of salvation must be proclaimed to everyone. You and I can't sit happily inside church and say, okay, I believe in Jesus. That's wonderful for me. But listen, we have a responsibility. We must share this message with as many people as we can. Yes, as an individual, I may not be able to, be able to change the world, but I can at least influence a few people. I can at least share this message with a few and let them hear this good news that if they repent and believe, their sins will also be blotted out. I can do my part. And if all of us do our part, we can impact this world. Before his ascension to heaven, Jesus gave this commandment to his disciples. In Luke 24, 46 to 48, he said, You know, all this took place so that as it was written, Christ must suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission or forgiveness of sins must be preached in his name to all nations, starting from Jerusalem. And then in verse 48, he said, You are witnesses of these things. You and I are witnesses of this message. We have a responsibility of sharing with this world this simple truth that there is salvation in Christ and Christ alone. It's a responsibility on each of us who believe. I want to close with this passage of Scripture from Romans 10, verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 has this great promise. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Powerful. Anyone can call on the name of Jesus Christ and be saved. Anyone, rich or poor, anyone, regardless of the background, regardless of their standing in society, anyone can call on the name of Jesus Christ and be saved. But, verse 14 says this, How can they call on someone in whom they have not heard? How can they hear? How can they believe in him? Sorry, how can they call on someone whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher, without somebody telling them? So we can't expect people to believe in somebody about whom they have not heard, not understood. And they cannot hear or understand unless we go and tell them. So upon us, each one of us, lies this responsibility of being a witness for Jesus Christ. And I know we all got our lives to live. We've got our responsibilities on earth. But I want to challenge you. Don't be so busy that you don't have time to share the gospel and be a witness. Amen? Take the time to be his witness. 
Make that your primary calling. Make that your primary assignment. Your job, your vocation, what you do, it should be secondary. My primary goal, my primary reason I'm here on this earth is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Make that your primary responsibility. Amen? This week is an exciting week. All of us get a chance to be a witness for Jesus. I'm not saying this is the only way to do it. But I'm just saying because of what's happening. All of us get to be involved. To be a witness for Jesus. So when the campaign launches on November 5th, we'll see all these things going up in our city. Probably by the 6th or the 7th of November, we'll start getting the contacts in, coming in to the church office of people we need to follow up. And, and uh, hopefully by Saturday, Sunday, by the weekend, we'll all get into action. Amen? If you have signed up, that's great. If you haven't signed up yet to volunteer, and just give a little bit of your time every week to go and meet some people, share Jesus with them. I encourage you to do that right today. After service, you can just remain. Uh, stay back. We'll have a quick training for you. So if you haven't signed up, just stay back. Uh, they're going to do it right here. We'll, we'll do the training right here. So just come and be seated up in front. And uh, you can sign up as a volunteer. We'll tell you how to go and uh, meet people, how to interact with people. And let's do it. Over the next month, maybe next two months, three months, we have this great opportunity in our city to go and be a witness. To share this message that we so strongly believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior. And he's the Savior of the whole world. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to call our worship team up, please. I want us to take a few moments to pray. And if there's anyone here this morning, and perhaps it's your first time to church, or you're hearing this message for the first time, it's challenged your thinking, it's rattled your belief system, that's good. Or what will you do with this message? Would you respond and say, yes, I want to believe in Jesus Christ. I want to repent and believe. To repent means to change my thinking. And to believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins on the cross. It was God who became man. He came into this world to die for me, for my sins. He was buried. He rose up again. He's alive today. And I want to believe. I want to be saved. I want to experience the salvation that comes through believing in Jesus Christ. There's anyone here this morning and you feel in your heart that you want to do that. You want to make that decision. And I want to take a minute to pray with you. Just to lead you in a simple prayer where you repent and believe this message. There's anyone here this morning you want to make this decision. If you've never done it before in, you, in your life, I want to help you do it. I'm just going to lead us in a simple prayer. And would you pray that after me? A prayer to help you make this decision to believe in Jesus Christ. Even if there's one person here this morning, You want to believe in your heart. Embrace Jesus as your Savior. Would you pray this prayer with me, please? Lord Jesus, I come to you. I choose to believe in you as my Savior. 
forgive my sins. Come into my life. And help me to follow you. And you alone. For the rest of my life. Teach me. What it means to believe in you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.